we thank you. We thank you for allowing us this privilege to be here. It's exceptional, oh Lord God, that you have blessed us so much. You've blessed us with time in order that we can give time back to you. You've blessed us with things so that we can give things back to you. You've blessed us with spiritual gifts that we can use for you. You have willingly showered us time and time again. The scriptures tells us beyond what we can ever imagine or think. But I can think of no greater thing than to be here and to sing and to rejoice and to worship you as a family. To thank you, O oh Lord God, together corporately for the many things that you have done for us. How I pray, O oh Lord, our hearts have already been blessed by being able to sing praises to you. To comment, O oh Lord God, upon how all that we have belongs to you. So, Lord, all we do want, all we want to do is love you. We thank you for the way that you've loved us. And it's something that we can just pass on to other people. So, God, I pray that as we look into your word and we thank you for it, that it is the fountain of life. It is by your word and through your word that individuals who live lives of hopelessness can find hope in you. Individuals who wander around in, in darkness can see the great light. Ones who are lost now are found. Individuals who cannot see because of spiritual blindness have made, been made whole and now they can see the very glory that is yours. And we thank you for that. How we pray, O oh Lord God, that by your spirit this morning that you would, through your word, change us into your glory. It appears, Lord, in your word that when individuals come face to face with you, they're changed. Moses went from a, a hiding shepherd to a mighty leader. Isaiah proclaimed that in your holiness he was even undone. John, he was once a captive held on an island for death, but yet what he saw and wrote for us of things yet to come, he was released that he may proclaim them. Your word changes us. And I ask, O oh Lord, that your word would change us even today. That as we worship you, 
And when we leave, we would not leave the same as when we came. For may we be able to proclaim we have seen God. Help us, O Lord God, to speak well. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord God, my Redeemer. Things that we may forget, I pray that you would bring to memory. Things that we don't know how to say, I pray, O Lord God, that you would guide my words. But most importantly, Lord, I I pray that you would be honored in all that we say and do. And it is in your mighty name that I praise you and thank you. Amen. I'm getting just a little bit of ringing up here, so you might want to back that down just a little bit. Thank you. I spoke earlier of Pastor Isaacs and my opportunity this last Friday to, to be with uh, young girls. <laughs> I have forgotten how loud young girls can be. All of my are now louder because they're older. But what's amazing that uh, Reagan and Quinn and, and, and um, Cora could, could just laugh. They laughed about the silliest things. I think at one time, uh, as we were driving to the McDonald's over in Shemokin Dam, I think it was Reagan because I thought it was the noise was coming behind me because that's where she sat. And she was just making a funny noise, and the other two couldn't help but just break out and laugh. Something like that happened to me on Wednesday when... I was at a chiropractor's appointment, waiting for my time, and I looked, and there was a book that I hadn't seen in a long time sitting on the desk there, and, and so I reached for it to read. It was, it was an easy book to read. It, you could read it probably in five or ten minutes, but it was a book about, it was a child's book. It was about Clifford, the big red dog, being born small puppy, so small that the little girl that owned Clifford had to give Clifford a bath in a bowl that later on in the story her dad was eating cereal out of. Of course, when she told him, the picture is him spitting out everything in his mouth, but it was was fun. I was taken back to the wonder of childhood. The innocence that is there. The ability to see a big red dog by the name of Clifford and find great joy in reading its pages. Or being in the back seats of a Ford Flex and just laughing when anyone would go. To go back sometimes to to the age of innocence of children is an amazing thing. 
But I find it even more amazing is that we who have grown in the years of knowing Jesus Christ, to go back and reflect upon when we became a little child, just beginning, just starting. The time of when we, by faith, placed our trust in Christ to have our sins forgiven. It felt like a whole weight of the world was taken off of our shoulders. And we probably left the place with a huge grin on our, on our face. Just saying thank you. But over the years, that wonder and that joy seems to have escaped us. I wonder what it is that causes that to happen. I think in Galatians chapter 5, beginning at verse 16 to the end of the chapter, gives us a slight clue of losing the wonder. What causes us to lose the wonder and the childlike belief in Jesus Christ? The Apostle Paul highlights a battle. He highlights the battle between what is known as the spiritual life and the sinful life. It's something that he highlights earlier in a book known as Romans chapter 7. For it is in that chapter that you may remember very clearly it's where the Apostle Paul confesses the fact that those things that I desire to do, I find myself not doing. And then those things that I know I should not do, he says, I find myself doing them. And he closes chapter 7 by saying, O wretched man that I am, who is there that can separate me from this curse? In chapter 8 and verse 1, he victoriously writes, For there is now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. <laughs> it's the battle. We, we carry scars of the battle. We become hardened because of the battle. And we lose the wonder of the joy that is in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul begins in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16, and he, he starts with these words. He says, Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. That opening phrase halted me this week because he doesn't fill it in. It's sort of like a statement that maybe he thinks the Galatians should already know, but I struggle with. The issue is, is how do you walk in the Spirit? How do you do that? John writes for us in 1 John chapter 1 and, and verse 8. 
where, where he says that if we walk in the light as he is in the light, meaning Jesus. So taking that verse and, and trying to bring out, if you will, to extrapolate what we would think of a, what are some things we need to do to walk as Jesus walked, to walk, as Paul says, in the Spirit. I've not given you any place on your study guide to, to fill anything in, but if you just want to turn it over, let me give you some guidelines to what I see in the Scriptures. If we use Jesus as our example, how is it that we walk in the Spirit? Well, the first thing is this. Keep a meaningful time with God. Keep a meaningful time with God. Just in case you thought I was mumbling, let me speak a little bit clearer. Keep a meaningful time with God. And how do we do that? It's more than just on a Sunday morning, by the way. Though we really do appreciate you all being here. Let me give you four things of what I see of how to keep a meaningful time with God. Number one, read the word of God. Read it. I really appreciate the way Pastor Isaac, in, in leading the, the Ignite ministry to teenagers from 7th grade all through up to 12th grade, he has printed out for them a reading guide of passages of Scripture. Reading the Word of God is, is so important. How do we even know of how much God loves us if it wasn't for the Word of God? How do we even know of how we may have eternal life if it wasn't for the Word of God? How do we know of how to deal with disappointments in life? of tragedies in life if it wasn't for the word of God. Read the word of God. Now, let me warn you. You, you have an arch enemy who doesn't want you to read the word of God. And he'll do anything that he can to keep you from reading the word of God. So what do you do? Find a time that works for you. I've heard it said by so many people, oh, you got to get up real early in the morning. That's when you can really read the word of God. Well, that didn't fly with me for a long time because I worked third shift. So I read the word of God before I went to work, which was right around nine o'clock at night. And the word of God carried me through my shift. So whatever works for you, that's great. Just read the word of God. Secondly, memorize the word of God. Memorize the word of God. I challenged the, the three young ladies that we had 
on Friday, as we were sitting there, I said, okay, let's recite our first Awana verse. It was great to hear them recite John 3.16. They already had it. Getting the word of God into their hearts and lives. Memorize the word of God. Thirdly, meditate on the word of God. The Psalms are full of, of passages that say, meditate. When the psalmist writes, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path, then I will hide its words in my heart that may not sin against you. It's meditating upon the word of God. And lastly, pray the word of God. And you're asking, how in the world does that work? I'm glad you asked. Let me give you an example. When David penned the words of Psalm 23, when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Your prayer could go something like this. Lord, thank you for being my shepherd that I won't have need of anything. Lead me in the paths of your righteousness. The Apostle Paul wrote for us in the book of Ephesians, and also the book of Philippians when he highlights prayers for those people. In the book of Ephesians, I believe it's chapter 2, he says, My prayer for you is that you may know what is the height and the depth and the length of the love of God. You can pray that by saying, Lord, teach me what is the height and the length, and the depth of your love. That's praying the scriptures. It's praying the word of God. That's spending time, meaningful time with God. Secondly, allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life. And how does he do that? Well, a lot of times he reveals our sin. And when he does that, you have an option. You can either confess that sin, which in the Greek means agree with what God has to say about it. And if you do something with it, if you confess it, 1 John 1, 9, God is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But another step beyond that is to forsake it. Why is it that we like to tie balloon strings onto the sins that we confess and hold on to them? You remember the account when Jesus was confronted by some Pharisees and they had brought to him, I believe it was a setup. But they brought to him, quote, an individual, a young lady who was caught in the sin of adultery. And they began to quote scripture from Moses of how she was supposed to be 
stoned to death. Do you remember what Jesus said? He said, you that are without sin, you cast the first stone. Well, they dropped them and walked away. And Jesus said to the woman, where are those who condemn you? They're not here. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But then he said, go and don't do that. He said, go and sin no more. But literally it means go and don't do that anymore. Forsake it. Cut the string. So you don't partake in that anymore. That's how we walk in the spirit. That's our chore, if you will, as we wrestle with the rest of this passage. As we look at the very first thing I give to you is the great conflict. It's this. But we are promised. We have the promise of victory over sin. We have the promise of victory over sin. The Apostle Paul says in verse one or verse sixteen to verse eighteen, three things that promises the victory. It's this. First is if we walk in the Spirit, we will not gratify the lust, if you will, of the desires of the sinful nature. That word gratify means to satisfy it. It means to comply to what it wants to be done. I will tell you that there are times when I'm driving and I look in my side mirror, rearview mirror, and there's coming alongside of us a car that I know is doing a whole lot more than what I'm doing. And as it passes, the sound of the muffler is like to me an orchestra of great power. And then I have to remind myself, but I'm driving a Ford Flex. Yes, God, thank you. Walking in the Spirit helps us to not satisfy the evil desires of the flesh. Then individuals owning those vehicles, it's not that you're evil. That's not what Paul's getting here. The thing of it is, is the battle. What is the, what is the, what is the desires of the sinful nature want me to do? And we have to fight against that. But we do that by walking in the Spirit. Secondly, if we walk by the Spirit, we will have victory over the sinful nature. We'll have victory. Greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. We are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. 
We walk in the Spirit, we will have victory over the sinful nature. At the time that we all are individuals who trusted Christ as their Savior, you got something. You got a new nature that was implanted in you by the very presence of the Holy Spirit. But what you didn't get was an eradication of the old nature. It's still with you. It's still with me. And it is a constant battle of who's going to win today. Who's going to win at this moment? And walking in the Spirit allows me to have victory over that which desires to keep me from getting close to God. And I can have victory, and you can have victory over that. You don't need to be shackled. You don't need to be chained. The evil one is defeated. I've read the last chapter of the book. We win. We got victory. Thirdly, if we walk by the Spirit, we will be led by the Spirit. Before we go grocery shopping, my wife writes an extensive list. I push the cart. I follow her. Aisles one all the way through eight. What do we need to get next, hon? I'm pushing the cart. We make it all the way to aisle eight. And I'm saying, yes, I will soon be out of this store. Until I hear the words, oh, I forgot something. (laughs) And it's usually in aisle one. All the way back we go. I'm following. My wife's got the list. I'm following. Holy Spirit's got the list. And he wants us to follow. If we're willing to be led by him, he'll take us through the store. All the way out to victory and glory. But you've got to be willing to walk. To be led by the Spirit. That's the promise. The second is... The peril of victory. P-E-R-I-L. Peril. The peril to victory over sin. The Apostle Paul lists for us four sections of sinful gratification to the old man. He highlights it that if we follow the works of the flesh, we're going to reap a life of defeat. Uh, Time does not allow us to 
go into each one of these, but I will give you the four sections that if you wish to go back and study, you may do that for your own. The first section comprised of three sins are known as sexual sins. Sexual sins. After that, he immediately lists religious sins. There are two of them. Interesting that the religious sins are right after the sexual sins. It might be an indication that the believers in Galatians would have remembered that they could go to the, to the nearest temple and there meet both male and female prostitutes, all under the name of religion. The third section has eight of them. They are evil society sins. Evil society sins, eight of them. And he closes with just two. Alcohol sins. So you have four, four sections of sins, desires of the flesh, that can be of a peril to victory over sin. But what caught me in my study is a phrase that the Apostle Paul uses in verse 21 when he says, that of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I did a word study on that word practice. What does that mean? Literally, the, the word practice comes from the Greek that gives us a definition of the intentional desire to commit these evil acts. <clears throat> and it goes on in its definition to say a life that is lived without any regard to God. Romans chapter 1 closes with that same phrase, practice these things. And then Paul says, and the worst thing about that is that those who practice these things know that they come under condemnation of God, but yet we even encourage it. I believe I've just given a short commentary on the society of the United States. Practice without regard to any intention of living a life apart from God. Practice. The sad commentary, as Paul says, is those individuals will not inherit the kingdom of God. It doesn't mean that we as believers, unfortunately, we do fall at times into these areas. 
Um, am I the only one or can I get an amen from some other people here? We fall into these areas. And it saddens my heart when I hear individuals even comment the fact of saying, well, that's just me. Well, I'm here to tell you, but that shouldn't be you. God doesn't want you to be like that. He set you free. But that's the peril. That we can succumb to the forces of darkness. The third point is this, is that there is power. The power for victory over sin. And there are three groups of three that give to us what is known as the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits, not plural, but singular. Fruit of the Spirit. In other words, these are characteristics that we can't do on our own. They are fostered by the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Let me give you each one of the three. The first group of three have to do with habits of the mind. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us whatsoever is true, whatsoever is lovely, think on these things. And be careful, dear people, when individuals tell you to just go into close your mind, close your eyes, empty your mind. Don't ever do that. Fill it with the very person of the Holy Spirit. The second group of three is described as characteristics that reach out to others. Reach out to others. And lastly, the group of three guiding the general conduct of believers. But notice the Apostle Paul closes that by saying, and of such And against such, there is no law. It is the divine working of the Holy Spirit. And he closes this particular group of verses with the provision for victory over sin. Just write this passage down, Romans 6, 1 to 6. The provision for victory over sin is described in those verses as being the crucifixion of Jesus Christ and our identity with him. We have been empowered by the very provision of what Jesus Christ has done for us that we can have victory over sin. In reading that book of Clifford, caused me to think back, not to my childhood, but caused me to think back to days that I worked with dad on the farm. 
cows that had been in all winter long are allowed to go out and their first meal on green grass causes a change in their system. Unfortunately, sometimes that change hits you. They have the runs. And so when we'd go in the barn, I can remember a number of times Dad saying, be careful where you walk. Fair and use that same analogy with you this morning, not that you're going to go traipsing through barnyards, but I give you this. Be careful where you walk. Walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desires of the flesh. That's our victory. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word. We are grateful for the instruction that you give us that we can be set free. You've given to us the promise. You've provided with us the power And you have also shown us the provision. It's all in Jesus Christ. But we recognize the perils. So Lord God, help us to be careful where we walk. That we would honor you and all that we say and do. And be victorious over the things that would cause us to be chained. We've been set free. Thank you, Lord Jesus. The mighty name of Christ our Savior, we thank you. Amen.